Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. Uh, how, many, how many of you are a little stressed out about Christmas? Let me just raise your hand for just a second. You're a little stressed out about Christmas. Be honest. Come on, raise your hand. Everything that you got to prepare, people coming in, family that you don't want to see. Come on, raise your hand. Come on, keep your hand up. Father, I pray for peace where there's stress right now. God, that they would experience your goodness and make this about you and not about a gift that they can give to someone, not about anything that's monetary, but Father, I pray that you bless every family that's represented here today, every home, every marriage, every child. Lord, I just pray that you bless them and help them to remember that you're the only reason for this season and that your grace would follow them into every gathering, into every Christmas party, into every uh, company Christmas party. Lord God, I just pray in Jesus' name that you give us the boldness to declare the Messiah has come. And that's why we celebrate what we celebrate. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Come on, come on. God's good. Last week, uh, we spent a lot of time diving into the Messiah and talking about uh, Melchizedek. Did anybody learn something last week? I, I, I know it could have been a little bit uh, heavy, uh, but if you haven't um, gone back to look at the YouTube video, you can go ahead and look at that and hopefully it'll help you unpack some of the biblical truths that we tried to unpack in the scope of 45 minutes. Uh, there's so much to talk about when you talk about the Messiah. You can't really talk about it all in the scope, not even of four services in a month. And so we want to honor the Word of God and we want to bring clarity to why we celebrate, who we celebrate, and that Christmas is so much more than a Christmas tree that we pick out and lights that we put up and presents that we hope we're able to afford uh, for it. So, but, you know, because when I was a kid, I, the, the, the things that I would ask for weren't, weren't what a lot of kids ask for today. Like my grandsons, I, they, they wrote me a letter and they said, the only thing I want for Christmas is a PS5. <laughs> and I'm like, the only thing? You know how much that thing cost? That thing is, right? That, that thing is, like I need to take up an offering to buy that for them. For, <laughs> but he's like, this is the only present I want. I won't ask for anything else. And then we tried to convince him, okay, like if you and your brother could share that and it's the only thing you get, maybe if your mom and dad are okay uh, with us getting that for you. But don't, don't make Christmas about what you can or cannot give. Just know that you and I were given the greatest gift that you and I could ever receive. And that is the gift of Jesus in all of our lives. And so make, make Christmas about the right thing and not the wrong things. Because when you make it about the wrong things, that's where you guys get all stressed out. Come on. Somebody say amen. amen. If you have your Bibles open to Isaiah 53 or go to that in your iPad or your notes or your app. Um, last week we talked about the office of the Messiah, the, the prophesied Messiah. And who the Messiah was, we all know his name is Jesus, yeah, Jesus, right? And we unpacked that last Sunday. Today I want to look at the Messiah from a different perspective. 
and I hope to do this portion of it justice, but we're going to look at the rejection of the Messiah, the rejected Messiah, and I hope that you stay and join us this month for how the Grinch got saved, and if you haven't already registered for the service that you're going to be at, help us get everything prepared for you. Uh, Our new Sunday services will kick off on Christmas, so it'll be 8.30, 10.30, 12.30, and our Spanish service meeting at 2.30. And so we don't want you to miss out on that. And also your family uh, that may be looking for a great Spanish church, we'll bring them to ours at 2.30. They'll be taken well cared of by our team there in the Spanish service. So hope you stay and join us this month. Um, here, here, here's what we learned last Sunday, just to catch you all up, if maybe if it's your first time. Is, there, is it anybody's first time here today? Anybody at all? Would you just raise your hand real quickly? We just want to honor you and welcome you. Hey, welcome, welcome. Good to have you with us. It's an honor to have you with us. Last week, we learned about the word Messiah and what, what Christ um, with that, that portion of when we say Jesus Christ, um, it really is Jesus the Christ or Jesus the anointed one. And Christ being translated from Messiah, um, meaning that he was anointed for a very specific purpose that God had ordained. And so the Messiah would be the anointed man of God who would fulfill a specific purpose backed by the presence of God and the favor of God with profound power to carry out the purpose to which he was called to. That is what the Messiah's office is. And yet there was a massive problem when Jesus, uh, that Jesus would encounter as the prophesied or foretold Messiah of God. And I want to go back to Isaiah real quickly to unpack a couple of things that we all need to understand about the prophecy. So uh, for those of you that are new to Christianity, prophecy was a gift that God gave certain men to be able to speak uh, on behalf of God to the children of Israel. And so in the Old Testament, there were prophets of God that would communicate God's will to the children of Israel because they didn't have a king until they were given the king Saul. And after King Saul was King David. And after David was King Solomon and so on and so forth. But God would use this prophetic gifting to speak to the children of Israel on God's behalf. And Isaiah was a prophet who, who talked about the coming of the Messiah about 700 years before he actually came in the form of Jesus. Let's read this out. Isaiah 53, verse 1, 2, and 3 says this. For who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. You got to understand that that prophecies usually carry what I would say word pictures or or phrases that would make you think about a picture of something that was happening to get you to relate to what word they were saying to you. So it says that he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. And he had no form of majesty that we should look at him. So this, this Messiah that was being prophesied would not necessarily carry the expression of a king. And yet he was a king. 
and no beauty that we should desire him, for he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. We didn't honor him. We didn't glorify him. And so today I've entitled today's message, The Rejected Messiah. Based on Isaiah's prophecy, the, the Messiah would be a man that was, would be despised and rejected by many. Now, if you were a religious leader of the day, in the days of Jesus, a Pharisee who taught the word of God or the Old Testament scrolls in synagogues to the Jews and to those that were being um, raised up to be rabbinical uh, or rabbi teachers to teach the next generation, um, based on Isaiah's prophecy, they would know that this would be a man um, that, that would come in the order of Melchizedek, a priest and a king, and yet Isaiah would say that he didn't carry this majesty and he was despised and a man that would be rejected by so many. The Messiah would be someone that, ex that would experience grief, pain, and sorrow on a level that most human beings could never comprehend. This would be a man who whom many believed had no form of majesty or beauty, so there would be no reverence or attraction to him. And we know Jesus to be the promised Messiah who would experience rejection on a level that none of us could fathom. And yet Isaiah continues to prophesy, even though he was a king, even though he was a priest under the order of Melchizedek, even though he was holy and would come from an immaculate conception through a virgin birth, this Messiah would be rejected by mankind and would be uh, a man who experienced grief and sorrow. But he continues to say in Isaiah 53 verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. And this is talking about the Messiah being crucified and paying the ultimate price and satisfying the wrath of God for the wages of sin being paid in full by the death of Christ, but also by the resurrection of Christ, you and I are given an opportunity to be brought back to the Father through the blood of this Messiah that we know and love, whose name is Jesus. And so this morning I want to look at why they rejected the Messiah 2,000 years ago and hopefully be able to share why so many people reject him today. Because they still reject Jesus. And knowing these things would happen, the question that we have to ask ourselves is why did so many of the religious leaders and why did so many people reject Jesus as the Messiah even though he was prophesied long ago. In Isaiah 53 verse 2 said he had no form of majesty that we should look at him. Jesus didn't come in the way that Israel would have preferred. And you need to know that because the, 
the first reason I would say they rejected the Messiah is because they rejected the way that he would come. They rejected the way the Messiah would arrive. The people of Israel were waiting for a king, a conqueror that would remove Rome from having dominion over Israel so that Israel would have a new king. The Messiah would be established as a new king on the throne, driving out the Roman occupation of Israel. They would have preferred that he came in as a conquering king and not a humble servant. And yet Jesus said that I came to serve and not to be served. Let me just throw this out for those of you that that are taking notes. The first time the Messiah would come, he would come as a humble servant. The next time the Messiah will come, he will come as conquering king. So the first time the Messiah came, he came as a humble servant. And yet Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9, another prophecy says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just, having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so what most of them heard and wanted to hear, because how many of you know that a lot of people have selective hearing? We hear what we want to hear, and we tend to understand what we want to understand. And Zechariah's prophesying that he would come as a conquering king, but he wouldn't, be, he wouldn't come in the way that they wanted to come, him, him to come as a conquering king. And they seem to have just rejected the idea that he would come lowly, which means that he would come in a humble fashion, riding in on a donkey or a colt, the foal or a young donkey. Now, for those of you that remember the Easter story, you remember that Jesus, as he approached Jerusalem, that he would come in, he said, hey, go get that colt, that young colt that's over there, tell them the master has need of it, and the disciples would go and get the colt, and they would bring it to Jesus, Jesus would jump on the colt, and he would come in, and they would start laying down palm branches in front of Jesus as he entered in as a humble servant, while on the other side of Jerusalem, Pontius Pilate is entering the other side with a different kind of parade. His parade was that of a conqueror, of someone that was subduing Jerusalem, and he would have an army that was following him, while Jesus came in as a humble servant with disciples coming in with him, and people singing, Hosanna, 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 in the highest, which means save us now. But he didn't come in as a conquering king. They may have preferred that the Messiah came through a well-known couple that was of royal descent, that everybody knew who they were, and this king would come from the lineage of King David and his his Davidic line. And the reality is that they actually did, that, that the Messiah did come in through the Davidic line by way of Joseph, Mary's 
fiance. Luke chapter 2 verse 4 through 7 says, So Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. So Joseph fulfills the prophecy that the Messiah would come from the Davidic line, which Joseph is a descendant of King David, the same King David that killed Goliath and sat on the throne of Israel. Joseph is a direct descendant, a great, 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 great grandson of King David, who was betrothed to this young teenage girl by the name of Mary. Well, the Bible goes on to say in verse 5, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And what you need to understand about marriages back then, the moment you were betrothed or the moment that you were um, yeah, betrothed, you were fiancés, you would be considered already, to a degree, already married to that individual. But you were not allowed to consecrate the marriage through uh, intercourse until the covenant was made. Is everybody tracking with me on that? In fact, the covenant was so important that in old Jewish history or custom that when a husband and a bride would walk down what they would consider the aisle, they would split an animal in half. And the blood of the animal would be down the aisle. And as they walked down the aisle, the representation of that act would symbolize let what happened to this animal happen to us if we break this covenant. Which is where we get till death do us part. And so being betrothed was something very, very serious, just like it is today. If you're, if you're engaged to be married, you take that very, very serious. But to a degree, it was looked upon as if you were already there without the intercourse, which basically consummates the marriage. Um, and so they were, an interesting thing too is that most of the marriages were uh, designed by the parents. So they were assigned the husband and they were assigned the bride, and believe it or not, statistically, marriages that were pre-assigned actually last longer than marriages that people assigned for themselves. Interesting thing to think about, not a part of the sermon, but just... <laughs> it's, it, oh it's interesting because when I, when I look at my grandsons, I also look at all the other little girls in our church. And I was like, wow, she would make a great wife for my grandson. Because she worships Jesus. She loves Jesus. She honors her mom and dad. And so there are a couple of kids that I'm looking at and I'm praying at. No, no I'm just saying. Don't, don't, don't laugh because a lot of you guys are already, yeah, that would work. That would work. Luke chapter 2 verse 4 through 7 goes on to say that Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. 
That's a problem. That is a problem. Because they're betrothed, but they haven't consummated the marriage, and yet Mary's pregnant. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. How many of you guys remember the Christmas story? That there was no room for this family to bring forth the Messiah. And so from the very inception of his coming already, from, from before he was even born, not only was there rejection, but King Herod was trying to kill baby Jesus. Because when you read the story of the Magi, the Magi come, they see the star in the heavens. I might teach that next weekend, but the, the, the Magi see the, the stars, they read the stars, they go to Jerusalem and they go to the king. Who else are they going to go to because the Messiah is coming? So they themselves said, hey, we saw the star, the Messiah is here. We're here to worship him. And King Herod's like, who is this Messiah? Because, of course, him ruling over the, over the children of Israel would have heard about this Messiah. And he knows that the Messiah would come to deliver the children of Israel out of the hands of the oppressor. And so King Herod puts out a green light on all children two years and under where all the children that were two years and under in all of Israel were put to death because they were trying to abort the coming of the Messiah. And so this is Joseph and Mary. And you, you'll read in a certain gospel where it talks about when this was taking place, they fled to Egypt to make sure that they, they protected um, Jesus and, and, and his arrival. Um, and yet we know that when Jesus arrived, he didn't come into a palace. He didn't come into a king and queen. Uh, his was a humble arrival, one of humility. Um, Mary, who, whose um, fiancé was Joseph, um, was in a bad place. Because you, you have to imagine this with me. And I, I just want to spend some time on Joseph's situation right now. Because when you think about the way that God was bringing about his will and his purpose through the prophetic that was foretold that she would, he would come, the Messiah would come through a virgin birth. And it just so happens that the virgin birth was going to be with Joseph's betrothed Mary. And I want you to play this out with me because I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes for just a moment. Could you imagine Mary, <laughs> could you marry Mary coming up to Joseph and saying, honey, I, I have something to tell you, but I don't want you to be mad. How many of you have ever had that conversation with your spouse? Like I had just one of those conversations with my wife yesterday. She FaceTimes me and she's like, babe, I, I have to tell you something, but I, I, I don't want you to be mad. Well, that's unfair. <laughs> like you're, you're setting me up for something that I didn't agree to. And yet you don't want me to be upset at what you did. Yeah, I don't think that works out that, that well. But this is Mary. So she comes to Joseph and she basically says, babe, I've got something to say to you. And I don't want you to get mad, but I want you to hear me out. Last night, an angel by the name of Gabriel visited me in my bedroom. And honey, it freaked me out. But if, if you don't believe me, you can look at Luke chapter 1, verse 31 through 38, <laughs> which wasn't written as of yet. 
So I'm going to give you the EVT translation, okay? I'm going to give you the Eddie Vargas translation. When, when I sent this to the media team, they're like, we can't find the EVT translation. Where do you find the EVT translation? And, and one of our girls that knows me really, really good, she goes, it's the Eddie Vargas translation. You need, that, don't, don't put that up. He's just going to repeat that. But here's the way that I interpret this. Are you ready? Honey, last night Gabriel, an angel from heaven visited me. And he said that I shouldn't be afraid, but I was a bit freaked out. But he said that I had found favor with God. And, and honey, this is what he said to me. He said, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Remember your great, great, great. Great, 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 grandfather King David. Well, the angel said that he was going to give this son his throne. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So he will rule all of Jerusalem. And then I said to the angel, how can this be? Since Joseph and I haven't gotten on yet. And the angel answered and he said to me, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And then I said to Gabriel, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from me. So honey, I know this sounds kind of crazy, but I'm pregnant. And you're not the baby daddy. (laughs) But God is. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Joseph, I'd be looking for every man named Gabriel in the village to have a one-on-one conversation with this clown. But put yourself in Joseph's shoes. He was a just man. He was a good man. He was out of the lineage of David. But could you imagine what Joseph was thinking? Maybe, just maybe, like many of us, Joseph was thinking, how could you let this happen to us? God, how can you allow this to happen to me? God, this is not fair. I don't know that I believe what I'm hearing. In fact, we know that Joseph has a problem believing what he's hearing because he's thinking of a way to divorce Mary. Now, make no mistake, if Mary is betrothed to Joseph, and Mary is found with child before Joseph lies with her, then more than likely Mary would be looked upon as a harlot, as someone that fabricated this whole story to to conceal her sin. And Joseph, like many of us as human beings, would think to ourselves, how can this happen to me? Like, I, I, I'm not okay with 
how this happened. I'm not okay with the fact that the woman that I'm scheduled and betrothed to is now pregnant and she's saying it's from God? Like I can't wrap my head around that and yet that is exactly what happens. And we know that Joseph is having a difficult time because he's trying to figure out a way of how to divorce her quietly, the Bible would say. Why does he want to divorce her quietly? Because based on, on Mary's sin, if it was a sin, then, then he would have the right and the family would have the right to take her before the village, bury her at about waist deep, and stone her to death because of her infidelity. That was common law back in that day. But I would, I would say to you something to look at this from maybe a different perspective. And I, and I thought this out and I thought, how true is this of how God does things? Because could it be that maybe some of the difficult things that many of us are going through right now in our lives, things that make no sense at all, things that may seem unfair and unjust and that we shouldn't have to go through it because I didn't do anything to deserve it, could it be that God is really positioning us to be part of the birthing of a miracle? Could it be that just maybe what you and I are going through isn't what it looks like but we are labeling it as something that is unfair and unjust, and why is it happening to me? I don't deserve this. I didn't do anything wrong to deserve this. Why is, I'm having a hard time dealing with this right now, God. Why me? But could it be, may I suggest that maybe what you're going through is something that is meant to bless you and not to harm you? That you could be a part of God birthing something miraculous and yet you're looking at it from the negative when maybe you could be looking at it from the positive? Maybe God is setting you and I up to fulfill something in us or through us, something miraculous, something divine that he wants to accomplish in and through our lives that we can't see because there have been so many times, and I can testify, there have been so many times that what I thought that I was going through was meant to end me, when in fact it was meant to bless me. Is anybody tracking with me on this? Like a job that I thought that I needed to sustain me, while it was God, while it was God that I needed, and that it is God that will sustain me, and the job that I thought I needed that was taking me away from God. God caused me to lose it because God was setting me up for something better that would draw me closer to him. Could it be that God allows things in all of our lives that we see as bad or negative, but really it's God's attempt at bringing us closer to him? Like a relationship that ended in pain and tears that you thought 
would break you from being any good to anyone else when in fact it was that very toxic relationship that was hindering you from experiencing the joy that God has prepared for you by bringing somebody that would be good for you and not somebody that would harm you? But in the midst of the brokenness of that separation, you can't see it. You just think how much this thing hurts and yet God's got a plan for your life and it's better than any plan that you've made up for yourself. Maybe what felt like rejection from so-called friends is really God redirecting you to better friendships. Friendships that will be there for you through thick and thin Friendships that will celebrate you when you succeed and not try to sabotage your success because they're not being successful? Could it be that God allows all these things and it is God who is using the seemingly bad situation to reveal himself to you and to guide your next steps and help you go to a place that you would never go on your own volition? I don't know. Maybe God's trying to get our undivided attention through the situation that you're in. And maybe instead of looking for the why you shouldn't be going through what you're going through, maybe you should be looking for God in it and saying, God, what are you trying to show me in this circumstance? Maybe God wants to birth a miracle through this seemingly harsh situation that will become a living blessing if you allow it to be born and you don't try to divorce it before it's even given a chance to be birthed. There was a man in the Old Testament by the name of Joseph who told his brothers that he had this dream that one day his family is going to bow down to him, that one day he was going to rule over his family, and his own brothers were very jealous of him, and what did they do? They schemed on how to kill him, and then in their scheming of trying to kill him, they let him out you know, to the wilderness, and in the wilderness, one of the brothers stands up for him and says, we can't kill him. He's our flesh and blood. He goes, maybe we should sell him off. And so they threw him in a pit. And then when a caravan passed by, he was sold off to this caravan. And this caravan went towards Egypt. And, 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 and they met with this guy by the name of Potiphar who bought Joseph from him. And then Potiphar hired him on as basically the head of his household to take care of his household. And Potiphar's wife was a slut. How can you say that, Pastor? Just read the story. She basically wanted Joseph to lie with her, which means he, she was coming after him to have sex with Joseph. And Joseph was like, my master, Potiphar, has given me everything in this household to rule and to reign except for you. And I won't do that to my God or my master. So he honored his master, who he worked for, who he was a slave to, and he honored God, Jehovah, that he served and he loved. And this girl kept on coming after him and coming after him and coming after him until one day she grabbed him by his coat and he took off running. And when he took off running, she started to yell rape. And he got, is it that time already? And he got into trouble and Potiphar could have had him killed. But Potiphar doesn't have him killed. Potiphar has him jailed. Okay, so Joseph has a dream. His brother's try to kill him, but then they sell him off into slavery. 
And then in that slavery, that slave, those slave masters sell him off to Potiphar. Potiphar could have killed him, doesn't kill him, puts him into jail. Now, jo- now Joseph's in jail, and there is a cupbearer and a chef from Pharaoh's palace, and they're having these dreams. They got busted for doing something they weren't supposed to do. Maybe they put too much salt in the food. I don't know what happened. They're in prison, and they have these dreams, and Joseph's in prison, and he's an interpreter of dreams. He interprets these dreams. And then these guys get released from the county pen and they go back to, to work for uh, Pharaoh. Pharaoh's got these dreams. He's telling his witches and his sorcerers, hey, I had this dream. I want you to interpret it. And they're like, tell us the dream and we'll interpret it. He's like, nope, I know how slick you guys are. Tell me my dream and I'll tell you whether or not I believe that's the interpretation. And they know that if they interpret wrong, that they're going to be put to death. And so one of the king's servants goes hey I was locked up with this dude in men's county prison and he was an interpreter of dreams so Pharaoh calls for him and he says interpret my dream and Joseph basically tells Pharaoh what his dream is interprets his dream and Pharaoh was so blown away that he makes Joseph second in command of all of of all of Egypt and one day his brothers come and they bow down to him just as his dream showed him that in order for him to get to the place where God wanted him to be, he was sold out by his family, he was brutally treated, he was accused of false things, he was imprisoned before he was exalted to the second highest of all of Egypt. And when the brothers see him and recognize him for who he is, they, 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 they repent And they said how sorry they were. And Joseph responds, it wasn't you that allowed me to go through what I I went through. God used what the enemy meant for evil for my good. It wasn't you that put me here. It was God that put me here. And so maybe what you're going through today isn't evil. It's just God allowing you to go through a process to get to where he needs you to be. Because you wouldn't decide to be there by your own decisions. And I think about Joseph in this story. Because Joseph was at that place. And I remember what Paul said in Romans 8.20. He says, and we know that all things work together for the good. Both good, bad, and ugly. All things work together for the good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. How many people love God here this morning? Come on, how many people love God here this morning? Listen, keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. What you're going through right now is going to work out for your good. What you're navigating right now is going to work out for your good. What you're going through with family, with friends, with business, with coworkers, it's going to work out for your good. You just need to find God in what you're going through. And let God lead you through what you're going through. And he will make your path straight. How many believe that this morning? That he's going to work it out. In Matthew chapter 1 verse 18, we know that the gospel of Matthew tells the story in a little bit different way. But I want you to see what Matthew recognizes that wasn't written in Luke. Now the birth of Jesus, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, 
Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, being a good man, and not wanting to make her a public example, because they would have killed her, was minded to put her away secretly, to divorce her. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, marry your, uh, do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, here's the prophecy, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name, what? Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her, she had brought forth her son, her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Maybe, maybe you just need to wait in the midst of what you're going through to hear from heaven and do what he's called you to do and stop trying to divorce what's happening so that your purpose could be fulfilled when God's answer arrives and it works out for your good and it works out for your marriage and it works out for your children and it works out for your family. Some things don't seem fair. Some things don't seem right. And many of us could say, why me? Why now? How come? Maybe God's trying to teach us something while you're going through what you're going through and you just need to hold on to God. You just need to hold on to his promises. You just need to hold on to his goodness because he's about to birth a miracle through your life. So they rejected Jesus as the Messiah because of the way that he came. Secondly, and I'll go through this fast, they rejected the humility of his divinity. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 8 says this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now you got to understand, that kind of language gets people killed. Because it was blasphemous to think that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. In fact, the very reason why he ticked off so many of the religious leaders is because they had made their religion all about works and not about love and compassion and relationship with the Father. It was all about works. Do this, don't do that. And they would judge harshly the people that they led and they taught and they served. And so when Paul the Apostle writes this letter to the church in, in, in Philippi, he says, who was equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. Does anybody know what a bondservant is? It's a slave. To think that God would come in humility and make himself a slave 
to serve humanity by taking on the full penalty of humans of humanity's sin and taking that to the cross so that everyone who's far from God would be able to be reconciled to the Father through faith in the Son, Jesus Christ. These words were blasphemous, were heretical, and, and anyone that spoke like this would be put to death, and we know that they were all put to death, that they were all martyred, and they tried to kill John by boiling him in oil, and he survived it and continued to write the book of Revelation. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. Doulos is the Greek word. Slave is the translation. And coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So despite performing miracles and fulfilling prophecies, disbelief in his divinity persisted. Religious leaders of the day couldn't come to grips with Jesus being God manifested in the flesh. Just about everything that Jesus said was blasphemous. And that's why they wanted him dead. Only God could say the things that he was saying. Only God says things like, I forgive you of your sin. No man had that kind of authority. And yet Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. So was Jesus God or not? Because after his resurrection from the dead... The disciples were gathered in a home, hiding and and, and afraid of what was going to happen next. And Jesus showed up to to doubting Thomas. And and, and doubting Thomas is saying, unless I put my finger in his side or in his scars, I won't believe. And guess who shows up? Jesus. And Jesus says, here's my scars. here's, Here's where they pierced my side in blood and water gushed out. Thomas, put your finger. Put put your finger right there. Put put your finger right. Could you imagine? And Thomas responds, my Lord and my God. In Titus, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 13, Titus writes, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the presence of in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 1, 1 through 5, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? The Word was in the beginning. The Word was with God. It accompanied, it accompanied God, and He was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. That Without him nothing was made. That was made in him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then in John chapter 10 verse, uh, John chapter 1 verse 10 through 11 it says he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own, to Israel, in Jerusalem, to the ones that should have recognized his appearance. Who should have been the one that recognized the appearance of God? The priests. And they are the very ones that Jesus would rebuke. Because he came to them and they rejected him. For they did not know 
that who was standing before them was the God that they served or the God that they were supposedly serving. The Bible says that he came to his own and they did not receive him. And then in John 1.14, the Bible says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is as the one, as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was confronting religious people of his day that had turned his word into dead works. And then I love what Jesus says when he rebukes these Pharisees and these priests. He says this in John chapter 5, verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. If I would have heard that, I would have been like, is it you? Is it really you, the Messiah? But no, yet you refuse to come to me and receive this life. Your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. Jesus is confronting the religious leaders that should know better. And he says, you study the scriptures because you think they have, they give you life. They're pointing you to me. And I don't care that you're not affirming me. I know that you're not of God because there's no love in you. For I have come to you in my Father's name and you have rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe. For you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Paul testifies of this. Paul was a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee. And he knew the word of God better than most. And this is what he writes to the church in Coloss. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us from the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things that have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Paul knew that Yeshua, that Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, that he was God come in the flesh. And yet the religious people rejected him. Just like many religious people today. And lastly, so we know that they rejected the way that he came. And secondly, we know that we, they rejected his humble divinity. And thirdly, I want you to know the reason why people reject him today. People reject Jesus today because they would rather live in darkness. They would rather live in their sin than to be confronted in their sin so that they could be set free and have eternal life with God the Son. And so people today still reject Jesus. In fact, John chapter 3, verse 19 through 21, this is after the famous scripture 
where God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is right after that. The Bible says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen and that his works may be exposed. And so we know that as, their work, as his works have been carried out in God. So some reject Jesus because they are uncomfortable in their sin and are unwilling to confront the truth. But those that would confront their sin and reject their sin and accept Jesus Christ, to those God would give eternal life through salvation in Christ Jesus. And let me, let me say this. Not only do people still reject Jesus, but hear me clearly, Jesus said, if they reject me, they're also going to reject you. 1 Corinthians 1.18, as I close, says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? And where is the scribe? And where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who would believe. That's why the Bible says to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, to acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your path straight. If people rejected Jesus, standing face to face with Jesus, people today are going to reject his gospel. And can I say this? When people reject what you have to say to them, they're not necessarily rejecting you. They're rejecting the God that you serve. And can I tell you, I know what rejection feels like. I think many Christians could say, that we know what rejection feels like. But one of the hardest rejections that I experienced came from my own family. I remember having this confrontational discussion with my father. My father was an atheist, did not believe in God whatsoever. And so he grew up believing that God did not exist, that everything that he attained in life, his wealth, his business, everything came through his own wisdom, his own uh, blood, sweat, and tears. And to a degree, to a degree, he was right. Because if you don't work hard at fulfilling your dream, you're never going to see your dream fulfilled. Right? But my dad was an atheist. And I remember working with my dad. And he would always jab at me. Does anybody have family members that jab at you every time you come together with them? Right? Especially when it's around Christmas time. They're like, oh, come on, don't, don't, don't talk about religion right now. I don't want to hear it. Well, my dad was that kind of person. He didn't want to talk to me about my faith. And, and I would share my faith with him. Dad, you got to hear this. 
this miracle that happened to me today. He's like, nah, that's not a miracle. That's just something that happened to you some way, and that's how you describe You describe, my dad was one of those guys that just would shoot down anything that had to do with God until one day he just went on one. Like he just went on one hard. He came at me really, really hard. And I'm sitting there, and I'm working with him in the shop, and I'm taking this, and I'm, it's, it was to the point to where it was abusive, where every single time, you know, that I would pray over my food, he would laugh. Every time that I would pray with somebody on the phone, he mocked. Every time I told him that I couldn't be at something because I had to go do this thing with the church, he would always clown. Until finally one day, he's like, when are you going to grow up and stop believing in a fairy tale? And so, so I, 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 at that point, I had just about had enough. And I said, okay, let me, let me just share something with you, Dad. Let's say that you're right. Because if you knew my dad, you would know that he was brilliant. He was a brilliant businessman. He was a brilliant mechanic. He was pretty much an engineer, could fix anything. Any, any car, boat, truck, motor, it didn't matter. The guy was just a brilliant engineer. Books everywhere on how to fix things. And so he had that kind of a intellectual mind. And I said, okay, let's, let's, let's play this out a little bit. Let's say that you are right. Let's say that God does not exist. Let's pretend that God does not exist. Well, for you, you you go to a grave and that's it. You're not surrounded by people that care about you. You didn't really fulfill any very specific purpose in your life. You're just gonna basically die alone and you're okay with that. Me on the other hand, I have a beautiful wife. I have incredible children. At that point, I didn't have any grandchildren. But I said, one day I'll have hopefully some grandchildren. I will have helped people come to know the goodness of God. And let's just say you're right. When I die, I'm going to go to a grave surrounded by love. You're going to go to a grave surrounded by no one. Let's say you're right. That's how this scenario plays out. But let's say that I'm right and you're wrong. Well, not only was I surrounded by love, not only did I help others come to know that love, but when I die, hopefully, I'll leave a legacy of faith to my children and my children's children, and I'll be in eternity with my Lord and Savior forever and ever, celebrating the goodness of God. Let's just say, I'm right and you're wrong, but when you die, you're not going to stand before a savior. You're going to stand before a judge. And he's going to judge you for rejecting him. For Jesus himself said, if you reject me before man, if you deny me before man, I will deny you before my father who is in heaven. If you accept me before man, I will accept you before my father who is in heaven. So when you die, you're going to be eternally separated from God the Father into eternal darkness where the Bible says there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Is it worth you being wrong this one time? Is it worth you putting all your, your, your chips in on you being right over this one thing? And it was after that that he didn't talk to me anymore. And I was rejected by my own father. So hear me out clearly when I say I understand rejection. 
I understand that people aren't rejecting you. They're rejecting the God that you serve. But hear me clearly, saints. If Jesus was rejected, you are going to be rejected. But our hope is that one day we'll be able to see them come to know Jesus. And so I still pray for my dad. Even though I have no communication with my dad, I hope that one day, maybe even on his dying, dying bed, he will remember the words that his son spoke to him. And he would say, Father, forgive me for my sins. I do believe. I do accept you as Lord and Savior. That's my hope. But it's not guaranteed. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed in reverence to the Father right now, I would ask you, do you know Jesus? Or have you rejected Jesus? But if you don't know Jesus, Jesus loves you. And he's not willing that any should perish. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the one that came and is going to come again for his bride, the church. And so today I just want to pray over you, pray over your family. And maybe that's you today. You don't know Jesus, but you'd like to accept him as Lord and Savior. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I need Jesus in my life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Come on, let's all stand to our feet. Let's all stand to our feet. Come on, how many believe that he will reign forever and ever? Because he's the Messiah. Let's pray, Father, in Jesus' name. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your living word. Help us to be bold, even in the midst of rejection. Help us to understand that maybe some of the things that we're going through, you're working some things out for our good. And God, we glorify you today in Jesus' name. Come on, everyone said amen. God bless you guys. We love you.